Chris, you know what a life hack is, right? No? Oh, my goodness. Okay, if you go on Facebook, the Internet, uh, a lot of the memes, there's things called life hacks. And I tell you what, to give you a little example, first I'll give you the definition. A life hack, uh, this is the definition off the Internet, so it must be true, is a strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. So here's just a few examples, and you see these all over the Internet. They're called life hacks. And so, you know, in computer hackers, they hack into computer codes and they manipulate things and programs to do what they want. So people have decided, well, we're going to do this with life, and we'll call them life hacks. And so one is you recycle an old uh, Heinz ketchup bottle, put your pancake batter in there, so then you can squeeze out perfectly round pancakes. This would be a life hack. It's a, something that helps make your life a little simpler, a little easier, a little more creative. Here's another example. A quick and easy iPhone speaker. This looks like something Roy would rig up for us. Um, you know, you can just stick it in there. This, if you know Roy, that's, that's, that's actually, Roy, do you have an iPhone? Where did he go? He's probably making one right now. Um, this would be another one for the campers out there. When camping, strap a headlamp to a gallon jug of water and fill the entire tent with ambient light. There's a life hack for you campers there. So a way to make your camping experience a little easier. Uh, for you painters out there, place a rubber band around an open paint can to wipe your brush on and keep paint off the side of the can. That's one thing I hate about painting is even with the, the spill-proof lids we get our paint from Menards, it, it still runs down the side. So put your rubber band on there. This will save you some grief in life here if you're if a painter. Uh, do we have another one up there? What's the next one here? Was that it? Oh, that's it. Okay. Perfect. I say, oh, that's right. I cut some out because I wanted to save some for next week. All right. So anyway, those are life hacks. I was getting a little too into that. So those are life hacks. They're ways in which people find creative solutions or um, ways to just make their life a little simpler, take a little bit of the, the stress out of life. And so I felt God, I was kind of speaking to me, I was looking at some of these, and God's like, well, let's talk about spiritual life hacks. Let's talk about things that are, they're right there in the Bible, actually. They're Right? Things that God has given us, but we forget. Things that we need to know and understand to help make our life a little easier. Maybe not easier, I should rephrase that. To make our life more tolerable, to help us get through it. Because sometimes we get this idea that because we're following Christ, because we're reading our Bible and we're praying that everything's going to be rosy and life's going to be great. That's, that's not true. The Bible doesn't actually promise us that. The Bible promises blessings from God. His peace that passes all understanding. So even in the midst of life's worst trials and situations, we can be at peace. We can have an assurance that we're going to be loved, that we're going to be taken care of, that we're going to be okay when we get through it. And so we're going to, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some biblical life hacks, things that will help us better live the lives that God is calling us to. And so today's spiritual life hack that we're, we're looking at is praise and worship. Uh, it's, a, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. Obviously, I, I, I still lead worship. I, I love it. I enjoy it. We have others here who, uh, Becky's passionate. She's growing. She just went to a worship conference in Minneapolis and heard it was uh, an incredible experience, and she's going to be leading us in worship as well. Praise and worship is one of the most important and probably often misunderstood and neglected aspects of Christian lives, of our spiritual lives. 
praise and worship, it, we forget and we don't realize how much we, we think we're giving something to God. And in, in a way, we are. But in giving praise and worship to God, something changes within us. Praise and worship, it affects us mentally. It affects us spiritually and it affects us physically even. Praise and worship is how we shift our attention and focus from, from things of temporal value to things of eternal value. Shifts our attention from things that don't matter to things that do matter in life. Praise and worship is how we step outside of the delusions of our own egos and into the reality of God's grace and His love. It's when we praise and worship and come before God and we recognize who He is that we have to first, to do that, we have to recognize that I'm not God. Before I can recognize how good God is and how faithful He is, I first have to recognize how unfaithful and how ungodlike I am. And then that gives me a more fuller uh, appreciation for his grace and his love that he, he takes me, he calls me in anyway. And that he's not asking me to be perfect before I praise him. He's not asking me to be perfect before I step into his presence. And I can be allow that thankfulness, that gratitude to overflow out of my heart. A.W. Tozer said, without worship, we go about miserable. Show me a grumpy, sourpuss Christian, and I will show you a Christian that does not know how to worship. Yeah, they might raise their hands, and they might sing, and they might shout, but we're going to look and see worship goes beyond that. It goes a little bit deeper. Calvin Coolidge said, it's only when we begin to worship that we begin to grow. It's through worship, it's through prayer that we connect, through praise that we connect to God. He is our source of life. The Holy Spirit working through us brings that life that we are called to. The word worship itself is, means to ascribe or, or recognize or declare worth. When we worship God, we are reminding ourselves and demonstrating to the world around us the value and the worth of God to us. We're telling the world around us how much God is worth to us. We're reminding ourselves how much God is worth to us when we worship him. Which then begs the question, what is God worth to me? How much is he worth to me? What is God's value or worth to us? How much do we value him? What is the value of God's undying love and his mercy? Is it worth more than the sum of, of our assets and our bank accounts? Is Christ worth more to us than our own dignity and our own pride? Is he worth more than our own presuppositions and our personal agendas and our own rights? Is the value of God worth more than that? We see in the disciples in the early church, they forsook everything. They gave up their lives, they gave up their families because they said God is worth everything. Christ is worth everything. His love and his freedom is worth everything to us. And so we see even in the face of, of death, even in the face of persecution, they chose to worship, they chose to praise him because they knew and they understood the value 
of God. So what is God? What is Jesus? What is our salvation and hope? What is it worth to us? And the answer should be everything. The answer should be everything. When Jesus came, he said, you know, we, we did a sermon series back a while back, said so Jesus said, what? And Jesus said, lest you hate your mother and your father, you cannot be my disciples. They're like, what? Now what he was saying was, if you, your love and your passion for me is not above the love and the passion you have for your family. Hate. He was saying, your love for me should be so much greater than the greatest loves in your life that in contrast, it should be as if it's hate. Because obviously Jesus said, honor your father and your mother. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. He was saying, unless you take everything that I have, everything that I am and I'm offering to you, unless you take that in and allow it to become a part of you, you have no part of me. The value should be everything. Jesus, we we don't talk about this a lot in Christianity, at least in the U.S., because we have a lot to give up. It's easy when you don't have a lot to say, I'm all in. We see the rich young ruler in the Bible. He comes up and this young man, he was picture-perfect disciple, and I'm sure people were excited about this guy. He, he, was, he was intelligent. He was educated. He was wealthy. He was, and he was a good kid. He was keeping all the laws. And Jesus commended him for it and said, now give up everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. True worship is a way of life. We worship God with our minds, with our actions, with our attitudes, and with our choices. We forget sometimes. We allow our attitudes, our emotions, our choices to get out of whack sometimes. And we forget it's with our very lives. It's how we live our lives that we we worship God. And the choices that we make, the attitudes that we have, reflect our values. They reflect what we value we do not live lives of worship, if we do not remind ourselves and declare to God with all of our being what he is worth, our lives will be broken and and consumed by the worthless distractions and wants of this world, the things that change us, the things that affect us, the things that we value in life are the things that are going to shape us and, and mold us. And sometimes we when we think of terms of worship and we think of things that we value, you know, our emotions, our attitudes, we, we invest our emotions. We invest our attitudes, our thoughts into things that we value. And for myself, this is something God convicted me of. And he said, well, you know, we, we can clap our hands and we can be moved to sadness or joy by a sporting event. We can invest our emotions and our attitudes you know, we can get angry at the ref. We can get happy when we, when we score the big win. We invest our, our emotions into these things. And we can be moved with great sadness or we can be moved with great joy when it comes to a sporting event or, or uh, you know, a, a spelling bee maybe for some of you. I don't know. But we struggle to invest 
that emotion and that value into the things of God, into God himself. We can't, for some reason, allow ourselves to be moved with excitement over what God has done for us. So what do we value more? What are we investing? What are we investing and pouring in our emotions and our thoughts into? We can spend 10 to 30% of our income every pay period on things we don't need, but we struggle to bring ourselves to give 5 to 20% to God. What are we valuing? We don't dare miss a, a game or a party, but we have no problems skipping our times of prayer, our personal times of worship or, or church. At least that was the way it was for me personally. I went through a couple periods in my life, and it, you know, I grew up in church my whole life, and there comes a time where like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather stay up till three in the morning, hanging out with some friends, having a good time, and um, you know, if if I if I feel okay, then I'll go to church in the morning. Or you know, I've had a really busy week. I've been doing a lot of this, and I had to work. You know, God will understand. I'll I'll, I'll just I'll pray sometime later today. I was giving more value to the things of this world. And when I did that, as a result, my mind began to become shaped into the image of the world. When I was spiritually at my lowest at different times of my life, we have ups and we have downs. And at my spiritual low points, I wasn't worshiping God with my life. It's not where we just start being like the world and then we stop worshiping God. It's more like we stop worshiping God and we take our focus and our value and our investments and put it into the world and then we begin to become shaped and molded into the image of the world. We are shaped into the image of the things we worship. We were created in the image of God because we were created to worship him. If we want to be more like Christ, if we want to step out of the brokenness of our lives and into the restoration that he has for us, then we must begin to worship and value him more than the things of this world. If we value money more than God, we will begin to take the form of the idol of greed. If we value sex and relationships more than we value God, then we'll be formed into the image of the idol of lust. The things that we value are the things that we will worship. The things that we value the most are the things that we will worship in our lives. Because it's what we're investing our thoughts. It's what we're investing our time. It's what we're investing our energy into. That is what worship is, giving value to. Where are we investing our time? Where are we investing our thoughts, our emotions, our resources? Are we investing it into God? Are we investing it into meaningless things of this world? A very powerful, life-transforming part of worship is praise. A lot of times we, we think and we, we make those two synonymous. They're not really. Praise is a part of worship. 
Praise is transforming. To praise is to express respect or gratitude towards a deity or person. Praise is the expression of respect and gratitude as an act of worship. And, uh, throughout the Old Testament, we, we see uh, a continual admonishment of, of to people for humanity to praise God or his people to recognize who he is. There's three different words in the Old Testament that get translated into our, our one English word, praise. Uh, one is barak, which is translated bless. So it means to, to bestow upon or to, to uplift God. So basically to, to give out to God his credit he is due. Other word, hala, or originally is where we get the word hallelujah, meaning to praise the Lord. Recognizing that he is Lord. He is the authority in our lives that we are submitted to. If we don't praise the Lord, if we don't recognize through our praise who God is and who we are, we begin to think that we are the lords of our own lives. And we begin to act accordingly. Another word, yada, can be translated to give thanks. We see in the Psalms, enter his courts with thanksgiving. So you get this sense that to step into the presence of God, to commune with God, we have to first come with a humble and thankful heart. If we notice it was when the Israel, in the Old Testament, it was God's people. It was when they became disgruntled, when they began to become spoiled brats, so to speak, and be ungrateful for what God did for them. And it was then that they would begin to turn away from God and they would step away from his presence, step away from the things that he was calling them to. So blessing, recognition of who God is and his authority, giving thanks, these are full aspects of praise. These are things that we sing about. In Psalm 150, I love this, uh, this little chapter. I encourage you this week, read through Psalm 150. Go through it for a while. Allow it to seep into your soul. It is a short but very passionate chapter that helps us understand where and, and how to praise God. I call it Psalm 150, uh, a how-to manual for praise. It, it's, it's, it's simple. It's very easy to understand. And we see it modeled throughout the, the whole biblical narrative. So we're going to look at that here. Verse 1 of Psalm 150. It's only six verses. Praise the Lord. See, exclamation point here. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament or heavens, depending on what translation you're using. So we see this admonishment to praise the Lord. This is what we were built to do. This is what we were created to do. We were created in God's image because we were created to worship him, to praise him. Where are we supposed to praise him? Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. The sanctuary meaning a, a place that has been dedicated to the glory and worship of God. There are obvious places. We have churches. We have chapels. Maybe in your home, you got a little prayer room, whatever. These are the places you get away specifically to come together or on your own to worship and to praise God. This is good. Do that. The second aspect of praise or second place, praise him in his mighty firmament or the heavens. This basically means throughout all of space and time, wherever we are in the vastness of space and time, we, or wherever we find ourselves, if we find ourselves in awe of God's goodness 
his mercy, his love, his creation, any of his marvelous attributes, it is then, and it is good and it is proper that we should give him praise in those moments. So in his firmament means while you're riding your motorcycle to work or out just cruising, while you're in your boat fishing, while you're doing needlepoint, while you're golfing, whatever it is you love to do, we are to be worshiping and praising God. We see examples throughout the Bible of people worshiping and praising God in some of the most awkward of places and situations. We find Moses and the Israelites praising God on the banks of the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. We find in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 21 on a praise taking place on a battlefield. We find in the New Testament we have Paul and Silas in prison in jail praising God. And I want us to look at these two examples. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 21. When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were going to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy splendor as they went before the army saying, God, give thanks to the Lord. So a little backdrop. They're completely surrounded by armies who are about to destroy them. They're not outgunned. I guess you'd say they're out sword out-charioted, out-manned, out-maneuvered. They're facing sure annihilation. And I, I love what we see here, and this is one of, my most, one of my favorite stories in the, I guess I say that about everything I preach on. It's good, I love it all. But this is something that God continually brings to, to my remembrance when life gets tough, when I begin to feel surrounded and so God tells Jehoshaphat, he tells the king to, to praise him. How would you like to be on the worship team that day? I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Troy or, or uh, Braveheart or something. You know, they've got these armies all lined up. They've got their swords, they've got their armor, they've got their shields. And you've got your trumpet. Doo-doo. Very gutsy. Or maybe he just realized he had no other option but to trust God. We would do much better in our lives oftentimes if we came to that conclusion sooner than later. That it's, it's God who's going to bring the victory in our lives. And so it's neat to see that we see this praise taking place not after the battle. But they're worshiping God before the battle takes place. Before they're going to even engage, they're giving praise to God. And they're basically going out saying, you know what, God, this is impossible. I don't know how you're going to do it, but we're going to recognize that you're a God and we're not. And no matter what happens, whether we die here today, we're going to die praising you. And with that heart and with that attitude, they went out and they praised God. And God moved on their behalf and destroyed the enemies. They never had to even engage. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 26, Paul and Silas, they've been thrown in prison. They've been traveling as missionaries, sharing the gospel, starting churches. 
training up pastors, and they get caught, and they get thrown in prison. They've been doing God's work. They've been doing amazing things, and now they're penniless. They're broken. They're cold in a damp Roman prison. It says, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. We see that praising God is not limited to a place and time. It's not limited to, to 9.30 or 10 o'clock or whenever on a Sunday morning. In Paul and Silas's case, spontaneity and a determination to praise God despite the circumstances and situations of their lives created a powerful and beautiful time of worship. Spontaneity and and praising God in, in some of the most impossible times and situations is the most appropriate time to praise God. It's this kind of praise, it's this kind of worship the kind of praise and worship says, I don't care if I'm about to be destroyed by an army. The kind of praise and worship says, even though I feel like I'm shackled right now and I'm hopeless in my life situation and I can't go anywhere and I don't know how I'm going to get out of it and I don't know if anyone even knows I'm here. It's in that moment that when we begin to worship and we begin to praise God that something happens. It's this kind of praise, it's this kind of worship that opens up our hearts and invites God to move powerfully in our lives and situation. Praise and worship invites God, invites the Holy Spirit into our lives. Chains of depression, addiction, and oppression are broken off, and the prison cells of our minds and spirits are broken open, and we are set free when we praise and worship God. The thing I love about Paul and Silas story, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Paul and Silas's praise and their worship to God, the other prisoners could hear them. They could hear these two lunatics. I got to spend some time in Rome. I've seen an ancient Roman prison. Not a real cheery place. And so as they they're beginning to worship, and for all they know, it's done. They've run the rest of their race, as far as they know. They're going to get pulled out. They're going to get executed. Imagine waiting for certain death, and you're smiling, and you're praising God. And as they're doing so, not just the physical realm, but the spiritual realm in which was around them began to shake. And not only were their chains broken off, it says all the chains. It wasn't just them that walked out. Other prisoners were set free and walked out. Their chains were broken. The doors came off the hinges. And we get this sense that as we praise and as we worship, as we recognize who God is, we're not only inviting God to move in our lives, we're inviting God to move within the lives of those around us, those who hear us, those who see us. Because as they see us worshiping God, as they see us declaring who he is, and they see him moving on our behalf, they begin to realize that he is God, and they begin to see what is possible, and they begin to praise him. And the chains of their lives are broken off, and their prison doors come off, and they are also set free. 
We don't just praise and worship to see our own chains and shackles broken off. We praise and worship to see our families, to see our communities, to see the world around us free and set free. Verse 2 of Psalm 150. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His surpassing greatness. Why do we praise Him? For His mighty deeds, the things that He's done in our lives. How much are we to praise Him? According to His surpassing greatness. Infinity. It's never ending. His mighty deeds, the things that He has done for us, are never ending. We have eternal promises in Christ. We have internal reasons to worship and to praise Him. And God does incredible things in all of our lives, and our salvation and His love for us alone, everything else aside, even if our lives are broken, even if our lives are difficult. If you're following Christ, if you talk to anyone in here that's been following Christ for a while, they'll tell you their life's not perfect. They're not perfect. But they've seen miracles. They've experienced the presence of God. They've experienced grace. They've experienced peace. They've experienced provision. And all of that aside, the eternal hope that we have, just even being allowed to be in His presence, if there was no physical merit at all in this life to following God, if God said, the only thing I'm giving you is my presence, that far surpasses and exceeds anything we could ever want or desire. That alone is reason to praise Him, and that's exactly what He promised us. We were separated from God's presence through our sin. Christ dying on the cross, he, the whole point was so we could be in the presence of God, who's an image we were made. He is our giver of life. Apart from him, we have no true life, meaning, or purpose. Psalms 106.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That enduring forever love is enough reason to forever be worshiping and praising him. So even in our most despairing moments, there's cause enough for us to praise God. As we see with Paul and Silas in jail and King Jehoshaphat and multiple other accounts throughout the Bible. I don't know if there's any uh, Grey's Anatomy fans here. Anybody seen it? A few of you are kind of shy. Are you familiar with Dancing It Out? There's two main characters. There's, there's Grey and then there's... Uh, uh, Christina, they're two best friends, and and they lean on each other. They're 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 their person, as they call it. You're my person. You're my person, and they're there for each other through thick and thin. And they've gotten through some situations, much to their own doing and other people's doing. But when they come together and they're really stressed and they're facing big decisions, they a couple times in the show and it's become a thing, or they get together and it's time to dance it out. And they just turn on some music and they go a little nuts and they dance and it's funny and silly and it's their little thing. And they, and they realize by the end of their dancing session and getting all the frustrations out that they're both standing there. They still have each other's love.
The world's still spinning. It's maybe, you know, they're going to survive. So that's why I kind of made this morning's sermon title, Praise It Out. Some of us, we, we're like Paul and Silas. We feel like we're sitting in a prison cell. I know there's a number of us that have actually sat in prison cells. Some of us feel like the world or families are against us. We have insurmountable odds that we're facing. We don't know what to do, how our situation is going to be overcome. Could be relationships, could be finances, could be spiritual conflicts in our lives. But as we see with these stories throughout the Bible, we see the power of praise. And I, I challenge us this morning, wherever we find ourselves in life, wherever we are now, whether we are on top of the world or we feel we're being crushed by the weight of it, that we get our eyes off the things of this world, we stop valuing the things of the world that are not going to set us free, that are not going to, to solve our, our problems, are not going to be able to give us contentment, are not going to be able to give us purpose, and that we turn our eyes on Christ, we turn our eyes on Jesus and we begin to praise it out. The best way to get through a horrible situation is to praise God. I can tell you from personal experience, I can tell you from people that are here today, the only way you get through the pain of this life is to praise it out. Verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with clanging cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. If you're a heavy metal drummer, this is, you can start shouting here. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We see a variety of styles and volume levels of instruments. We have brass, string, percussion, woodwinds. We see the instrument of the body through dance and song. We see that praise is to be joyful and that praise is to be bold. We are called to praise with passion and emotion. And praise in itself is not singing songs, it's not clapping and and raising our hands. These are outward expressions. These are aspects of of worship. But they should be coming from an inner excitement that comes from within. True praise comes from the heart, a heart of humility and thankfulness, a heart that is in love with God and enamored by His greatness and that sees the value of God above the value of anything else in our lives. We see that God's praises are meant to be seen and heard. How will the world know who our God is if we ourselves don't even declare it? God's praises are meant to be expressed by all believers, no matter what culture, denomination, or personality we have. We are all called to be worshipers. We are all called to praise Him. To praise Him in humility and love and in unity together as the body of Christ. So as individuals, we're to be praising and we're to be worshiping together in the sanctuary. We come together and in unity, be worshiping and giving praise to who he is. Anything less is just power.
powerless noise. So when we find ourselves this week, the next months to come, the situations we're maybe in right now, let's shift our values. Let's shift our focus. Let's shift what we're investing in. Let's invest our lives in God, our emotions, every aspect of our lives. We are to worship Him with our lives. So I want to challenge us this morning. What are we worshiping? What are we valuing? And secondly, let's begin to grow and learn how to praise it out. We're not always going to feel like praising. Sometimes we're going to be angry with God. And that's okay. But come to God. Come to Him in your prison cell. Come to Him in face of your army and say, God, I can't do this. Only you can. But I know you can. And I know you love me. And so I'm going to thank you because of that I know you can and I know you love me. And if that's all I get out of this, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to thank you. And begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work through that. And the Holy Spirit then shifts our value, shifts our heart, shifts our emotions, shifts our minds. And we begin to see clearly the purpose that God has for us in these situations. May we praise boldly. May we let our praises be heard. And, and may not only the chains of our lives be broken off. May not only our prison doors be blown off their hinges. May not only our adversaries and our enemies and our situations be blown over. But may we praise God with a new vision and a new attitude that says, I want to see my family. I want to see my community. I want to see the lost set free. Because if we only think about ourselves and our own chains and our own situations, we're never going to be free. We're never going to see the value of what God has for us and what he's doing in our lives. May we praise him, may we praise it out, that we might be reminded, that the world around us might be reminded of the true life, freedom, and restoration we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that we have this gift called praise to help shift our value, help shift the things that we are investing our lives into, Lord. Father, forgive us for investing so much in the worthless things of this world and yet neglecting to invest in you. Father, may we invest our minds and our intellect into you, into studying your word. Lord, may we invest our hearts and our emotions and our passion. May we invest it into you and the callings that you have for us. Father, may we invest our time our time into prayer and into service to you and to others. Father, may we invest our resources into you and to the works that you've called us to. Father, may we invest all that you place in our hands, our lives themselves, into you because you are worth everything to us. And Father, may we grow in our understanding, and our ability to worship and to praise you. Lord, may we not only praise you after the victories in our lives, but God, may we boldly praise you before 
the victories before we know how or what you're going to do. May we praise you in all circumstances. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.